All right, uh, Children's Church, four-year-old and up, if you want to head out. If you're, if you're visiting with us today and you want to go with your child just to see where we're taking them, totally understandable. It'll also allow you to miss the quiz. So uh, I don't want the rest of y'all with no kids running out there acting like you got kids. All of a sudden you want to serve in Children's Church. Yeah, yeah, I'm a volunteer today. I'm a volunteer. Sure you are. Sure you are. So uh, for our visitors, visitors, we're going through a series where we are looking at our, um, our beliefs as a church. And uh, so you have in your hands the quiz. And uh, for our visitors' sake, we're going to make this easy. What we're going to do is when I call out the question, if you believe it's true, I want you to move over to this side. And if you believe it's false, I want you to go over to this side. We're just going to call people out. No, I'm teasing. We won't do that to you. We won't do that to you. But uh, um, we're, we're just trying to help us understand what we believe, what the Bible says. We want, um, sometimes I think we, we think we know more than we know, maybe. And um, so we don't really pursue that area or pursue knowledge in that area. And so this quiz, I think, is helping us to see that. And so for our visitors' sake... We don't, mind, we don't mind embarrassing family, but for our visitors' sake, I'm going to call out the question, and, and uh, I'll, give you the, I'll, I'll give you a second, and I'll give you the answer. We're not going to call out the answers or anything like that. Um, we're not going to grade these. These are just for your sake, all right? These are just for your sake. So if you have your quiz, look at number one. The church exists in two forms. The universal church, all believers from the day of Pentecost to judgment, and... The local church, which is a group of believers in this age meeting regularly and organized biblically to do God's will. Don't say it out loud, just mark true or false. All right. The answer there, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna do it a little differently this morning. The answer is true. Matt, we'll see that today. We'll see that today, that there is a universal aspect, all believers, and then there's a local aspect. That is true. Number two, the purpose of the church is to make disciples and glorify God primarily by proclaiming the gospel, baptizing, teaching, fellowshipping. True or false? True. I'm gonna get, some people told class you'd have got sent to the principal's office. You didn't follow directions. You yelled out to aunt. No, I'm teasing. True. That's true. 2 Timothy 4.2 talks about preaching the word. Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Talks about we see in Acts 2, then baptizing, 2 Timothy 3.15, talks about teaching, fellowshipping. We'll see that today. Three, and these are the these are some specific forms of governance with regards to the local body, and, and, and seeing if we understand these. This view of church hierarchy holds that the authority in local churches rests in bishops who oversee several local churches. The bishops then have authority over local ministers who they ordain and appoint, who in turn have authority over the congregation. Got three choices there, I believe. There's some collaborative, I like it, I like to hear collaborative efforts. The answer there is the hierarchical view. Hierarchical view. Um, and there, there are passages that, um, such as Acts 15, 1 Corinthians 4, others that, that, that will support that view, that the, um, they, they support that view. 
This view, number four, this view of church hierarchy is called the elder rule because that's where the authority lies. Elders receive authority to be elected from the congregation or being appointed by fellow elders. So elder rule versus bishop rule. All right, you got it? That would be the federal view. The federal view. That, that is who we are as a church. We are elder-led. We have uh, six elders who, who lead this, this congregation. Um, we are an autonomous church. Uh, we don't answer to, to anyone other than the Word of God, if you will, the authority of the Lord. We're an autonomous church, and we have elders who lead on that behalf and lead. I am an elder, even though I am the lead pastor or teaching pastor, whatever you want to call me, I am an elder. I hold one of six spots at the table with regards to the leadership of this church, and there's lots of biblical support for for that as well, and we've talked about that. Number five, this view holds that the congregation holds final authority over all matters. The pastor and other leaders are elected by the congregation to teach and lead, but the congregation has authority over them. I hope nobody gets this wrong. The congregation holds authority. Check your answers there. Tony, Tony tossed you up a softball there. Uh, congregational view. Um, and, and many, again, a lot of independent churches hold this rule of authority and governance. A lot of, most of your Baptist churches will hold to uh, this rule of, of governance. We would be a little bit odd uh, in a lot of ways. You'd say we're odd, I guess. But uh, we would be a little different in, in the sense that we are a, a Baptist church who holds to elder rule. Six, given those, given all that, and each of them had biblical support, read this one. The Bible clearly lays out the proper method of church governance for believers to follow. And uh, you got your answer there? That's false in the, in the sense that there is clear biblical evidence for uh, some varieties of, of rule there. Elder rule, congregational rule, um, the apostles had authority. There's a little bit of, God has given us a little bit of a leeway, if you will, in how we rule and are ruled. There is certainly biblical guidance. It's not to mean that the Bible is contradictory or, un, or unclear, but, but again, when you, look, when you look at the history of the church, when you look at the, the biblical evidence there, there's some, there's some flexibility in, in how we are ruled there and, and governed. Uh, seven, Scripture provides clear examples of a plurality of elder leadership in the local church body. Clear examples of plurality of elder leadership. That, that answer, that answer is true. It is always plural in the biblical examples, whether it's Antioch or Jerusalem or Philippi, all those, there was a plurality of elders. There was not one individual, you know, leading, holding sway over the full governance there. The, the biblical model of leadership is shared by elders. And, and again, I'm grateful uh, for the, the plurality of elders sitting around the table with five other other men and, and, and leading this church, that it is not entirely up to me. So membership, church membership. These are the two elements we're speaking to today. There is no clear biblical example of church membership. Be careful. 
We're going to, all right, the answer there, true in the sense of uh, it's not that membership is not necessary. There are clear um, indications. Uh, formal membership, if you will, is somewhat cultural in the sense of our, our structures and that. But in the early church setting, there would have been a, one or two churches in an area. They oftentimes would have been in, in houses. And uh, in our modern in our modern churches, you know, there's an official function there uh, for order and 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 even church church discipline. There's a hint there of membership with regards to church discipline. There's certainly a call for it, but again, there's flexibility. You know, it's hard to discipline. We 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 do ask for church membership. We have people that are members here, it, it, even for church for church discipline. You know, and, and holding people accountable in that. And so, again, there, there is a call for membership, but it's not explicit in that sense. Um, two, Christians are to be members of churches where they are held accountable to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And the answer here would be true. Again, we're called to... We're called to, to identify ourselves with a local body of believers. We'll see that. Now, how that takes place and the, the officialness like we just argued, but, but we are called. There's no examples in the New Testament and in the Bible of individuals just saying, I'm going to do my own thing and not be a part of a corporate body of believers. These lo- the idea of lone ranger Christians. There, there was You look at Hebrews 10, 24, and 5. It says, Do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but, but come together to encourage one another. Well, you're not encouraged when you're alone. You don't have anyone encouraging you when you're alone. You don't have people holding you accountable. So there's certainly, like I said, there are certainly um, the teaching of the New Testament, even as I mentioned, discipline implies... Membership implies you identifying with a specific local body, not going here for this and here for that and here for this, identifying with a, with a local body, with a family, if you will. Three, the biblical call for a membership of mutual accountability in a local body of believers suggests the need for believers to make a covenant with one another. The answer there is true, and we'll see that today in the pictures of, of, a, of, the, of a church, so to speak, in the Bible. One of them is the, the Institute of Marriage, is given as an illustration of the church. And you and your bride made a covenant, you took vows, and it speaks to, this, to, to the, the greatness of, of what the church is and membership and being a part there's certainly for freedom of conscience in areas where the Bible is not definitive, but yet it focuses on principles. It, it focuses on the togetherness. It focuses on the mutuality. It focuses on commitment there. And so, um, four, on under membership. Accountability in the local church means that the church will grow to be perfectly pure in this age. That, that's false. We'll, we'll never get to a point where, we're, we're not, where we don't sin. We certainly should be pursuing that. In 1 John, he says, I think it's chapter th- 2, 1, I write these, dear children, I write these things so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. 
True. Oh, did I? Sorry. Okay, sorry. My bad. Reading. Yeah, reading. Sorry. Accountability in the local tree means the church will grow. Oh, sorry. I got you. Sorry. Reading 101 here. Five. Part of the priesthood of believers means that all of us in the church are responsible to give and receive encouragement, counsel, consolation, exhortation, and admonition, sometimes called church discipline. So will church discipline be a part of our body? The answer there is true. There is a call clearly in the scriptures for church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5. Certainly not a fun part of leading a church or, or, or being a part of a church, but, but certainly it's needed. There will be times where we have to confront one another in love and deal with sin. And again, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, throughout Scripture you see pictures of, uh, of, of church discipline. Six, and lastly, membership at the church at Odessa shall consist of regenerated persons who voluntarily accept baptism and commit themselves to faithful discipleship in the body of Christ. The answer there is true. True. To be a, a member of this church would require to, you be a, to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to have been baptized. And then there, we're working on a, a membership class where we'll go over all this and, and what we believe, but... I hope you did well on that and challenging. I think sometimes, again, the point is sometimes we think we know something a little better than maybe we know it. Or sometimes culture creeps in and we kind of know things culturally versus biblically. And sometimes we just may have been under leadership where it just wasn't biblical in the sense of you were, you were taught wrongly. And, and tradition may have trumped actually what the Bible says and doing things based on what worked or what, what, was, what was efficient versus what the Bible says. And so we want to... We're trying here to take us back to what the Bible says. We're, we're, a, we're, a, we're a Baptist church, but, but our doctrine is not is dictated. It's dictated by the Bible. We believe what we believe because of the Bible. And so we've been working through these. Last week, we, we talked about salvation. And um, we walked through the gospel and the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And I just, I, I wanted to apologize because I felt like all week I did not emphasize the resurrection enough last week. We covered a lot of ground, and, and so for that I am, I apologize. It is immensely important. You know, we talked about that with the, with the children at VBS on Thursday and the resurrection really being the proof, the receipt, if you will, that God accepted Jesus' payment on behalf of our sins, and Romans 4, 1, 4 says that the resurrection proved, again, that, he, that he, Jesus was God's Son. It, it, it guarantees as well, John eleven twenty five 25 and 6, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. No, if anyone believes in me, he will not die even if he dies. That's the hope. That's why you and I can sacrifice. We can, we can die to self. We can deny self. Why? Because God has promised in Jesus' resurrection, that you and I will be resurrected. We will reign for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. There's a beautiful promise there of resurrection throughout, throughout there. And so today we look at the doctrine of the church. The, the, the big word of that would be ecclesiology. Ecclesiology. The doctrine of the church. And I, and I want to answer some key questions with regards to the church. And you see them on your, on your handout. And so jumping right in for the sake of time. 
What is the church? I think that that'd be the best place to start. What is the church? There are all sorts of definitions for what the church is. And a lot of times, even in our language, even in our language, we, we tend to refer to a building as a church. And the building is not the church. Even in our behavior, a lot of times we will, we will want to protect the building more than we'll want to protect the actual church. The, the building is not the church. The Bible portrays a gathered group of individuals with a common purpose, in this sense, a common belief in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, a common group of individuals who have repented of their sin and are believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation. That's the church. You and I are the church. It's not, it's not a building. It's you and I. We, we need to be careful how we communicate this to a watching world. You know, we're going to church. The reality is, is you are the church. And everywhere you are, everywhere you are, you're a representation of Christ. And sometimes the way that the danger of that is sometimes it'll creep in and people will be very particular about what happens in this area. We don't eat, we don't drink, we don't run, we don't that, that, that. But then they may be less casual about their own life. The reality is you, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your own bodies? He says, you're a temple of the living God. You're the church. And we can't be more careful about what we do inside this building than what we do to our own bodies or through our own lives and our bodies. And, and so the word church, it's rooted in the Greek word ekklesia. And that word literally means called out ones. And, and if you were to trace that word through the Bible, what it means is any gathering, in that word, any gathering could be called, would be called church. A gathering. It's a gathering of individuals with common beliefs or, or common goals or common values. In Acts 19.32, there, there was a group of believers, they were gathering, and it was a mob, and, and it was called, it used the word ecclesia, gathering, assembly, to describe their gathering, and it was literally a mob. As, that, as, as history moved on, the word for church began to, there's a, there's a word, kirk, K-U-R-K, and I think it's a Scottish word, and it means belonging to the Lord. So over time, the, world, the word church took on the definition of this, those who are gathered who are belonging to the Lord, and that would be, the, that would be the, what we currently refer to as church. It's a gathering of individuals who belong to the Lord. That's what we would recognize it as today. We are a gathered group of believers who belong to the Lord. Now, certainly in our midst, and you see it in 1 Corinthians specifically 14, there could be unbelievers in the midst of the gathering. But in general, we're gathered here identifying ourselves, and the commonality that links us is that you and I belong to the Lord. That is why we gather. And so if you wanted a definition to kind of bring all that together, it would be this, a local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in likeness of Christ and express the love of Christ to each other and to the world. We're, we're gathered to grow, we're gathered to, to, 
profess our, our allegiance to Christ. We're, we're gathered to encourage one another. We're gathered to, to, to mature. We're, we're gathered to strengthen in the Lord. We're gathered to be mutually encouraged. All of those of which we'll see. And the church, in, in, the, Bibli- in the Bible, you see the church identified in two specific ways. And, and, and Tony mentioned them on the quiz that he put together for us. There's the universal church. You see it on your handout. The universal church. That would be all believers for all time. Pentecost and forward. All believers for all time. There is a universal aspect to church. But there's also a local aspect to church. Local would be, would be us right here. It would be the local aspect, the church at Odessa. And, and that's really why, why we named the church the way we did, because in the New Testament, that's where they were identified, the church at Laodicea, the church at Ephesus, the church. And it, it designated a group of believers who were gathered in a specific area. Now, obviously, today, there's lots of churches in this area and lots of good churches. We're, we're one of those. But again, you see in the New Testament, both of those designations used. If you were to read the, the, the letter of Ephesus, almost universally there, Paul is talking about the universal church. He's talking about all believers, not, not those at a specific time in a specific place. But the beauty here, why does it matter? The beauty here is really a picture that we need to grasp as believers. We, we need to grasp this as believers because we, we kind of live in the here and the now. We really only focus, if we're honest, about ourselves and we don't think about the grand nature that you and I are a part of a body that has gone on for generations, will go on for generations until the Lord returns, and it globally is spread out all over the world. Today, today, billions and billions of followers of Christ will meet in individual locations, but to collect, collectively we're identifying ourselves with Christ and we're meeting to glorify Christ. My, my point is, you, we, we look around and we see two, three hundred other people. The reality is, is all believers for all time, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have, been, if you have repented of your sin, believed upon Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, you're a part of the universal church. All, you, you look at verse 11 of Hebrews, you look at all the martyrs, you think about Martin Luther, Calvin, you think about missionaries such as William Carey, Lottie Moon, Hudson Taylor. One day, one day God is going to gather us all and we're all going to be at the foot of, of Jesus worshiping our Savior. All of us together. That's, a, that's an amazing thought. The Bible says that, that people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, all gathered. What we do on Sundays is we're, we're giving a, a picture of that. When we gather locally, you see it on your handout, the local church is to be a visible expression of the universal body of Christ. We're, we're picturing that which really can't be pictured well today and the local body of the local body of believers that is the most common way that the bible refers to church the the word church there is 114 times it appears in the new testament 90 of them point to a specific local church 90 of the 114 references refer to a specific local church and the local body is huge. 
Again, we, but we have to understand that we are a local, visible expression of something so much larger that is going on and that God is doing. And how we, how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how we, how we carry this out has an impact on so much larger a picture than just the church at Odessa. You're representing all of us, all of us churches, all of us local assemblies who are gathered of followers, believers of Jesus Christ. We're, we are one giant family. And just like when your kids go out and my kids go out, guess who they represent? They represent their moms, they represent their dads, but you know what they do? They represent their grandmothers. I'm a Basham. I represent all the other Bashams that are in my family. And so do you. Whether you're a Miller or a Hewitt or a Adams or a Hicks, a Hale, you, you represent so much a bigger group of people than what you realize or what you might even know. You may not have even met some of the people that you represent. And that's the way it is in the church. We, we, are, we are a visible expression of a tremendous family, the family of God. And it's geographically spread out. Esther and Akeen have family in Nigeria who are worshiping the same God. Worshiping Jesus Christ just like we are today. And, and here's the thing. I may never meet them, but the beauty of the Bible is this. I'm going to spend eternity with them. There is coming a day when we will worship together. You look at Galatians 3. There's neither Jew nor Greek nor all these different things. In Christ, in Christ, we're one. And, and there's a sermon there in and of itself. And, and what you see what you see this in Ephesians 4, and if you could turn to Ephesians 4, that's really where we're going to park for the most part, but we're going to bounce around. You see this clearly in Ephesians 4. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Ephesians is in the, the New Testament near the back of that Bible. You got First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you got Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. L listen to real, real quickly and, and get a picture of the grandness of what you're a part of, believer. Therefore, I, Paul is speaking here, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So right off the bat, he's saying, understand, understand the gravity and the greatness of, of who you are and what you're a part of, and live accordingly. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. There you see it, one another. If you were to go to Romans 12 through 14, you see that phrase over and over and over again, one another. This is not an individualized thing. He says, being diligent, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says there, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over and through all and in, in all. You see the unity there? Believers all, all across time, and yet they're, they're one body, one Lord. 
But to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive hosts of captives and he gave gifts to men. Go down to verse 10. Or go to 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints. See, Paul talks about universally. The saints. Big picture. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, the universal body of Christ. Here, here's the reality. Esther's family, for instance, they will be worshiping in Nigeria. Listen, their worship will be guided by the same word of God that our worship is guided here in Odessa, Florida. Oneness. Oneness. One family. Different geographic locations, but there's oneness. Again, he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Why do we gather? We gather to be, to be built up, to help each other conform, or to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why, that's why we gather why, why have people been equipped as, as pastors and teachers and all that to build up the body of Christ to maturity? That they would be firm, that they would know what they believe, that they would be sure in what they believe, that they would be able to defend what they believe. Again, he goes on in 14, As a result, we're no longer to be tossed here and there by waves and, wind, and carried about by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. Maturity. The likeness of Christ. We're not gathered here for programs. We're not gathered here for fun. We're not gathered here for our agenda. We're gathered here to be built up to maturity in Christ. God has given very specific co commands in that sense and a very specific purpose with regards to the church. There's flexibility in how that looks, but the goal is maturity. And again, that's the commonality why we said that's what a church is. It is a group of of believers in Jesus Christ, a group of baptized believers, followers of Jesus Christ. That's what sets us off. That's the, the unity, that's the identity that this body shares. So, so when did the church begin? Again, I mentioned 114 times in the New Testament it appears. Only three of those, only three of those are in the Gospels. 111 times that word appears after after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. If you were to go to Matthew 16, 18, listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's lots of, of bad interpretations of that passage and, and the exaltation of Peter and all those things, but the point of what Jesus is saying there is I will build my church. It's future. It's a future-oriented thing. He didn't say, I will continue to add to something that is currently in existence and currently being built. No, it, it, the church had not begun yet. And, and, in, and in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, you see the, the manner in which the church is being built. He says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's through the, the bat, it's through the gift, the giving, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that in John 14 through 16. We've already seen that. 
At the moment of your salvation, you are sealed, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and that marks you off as the people of God. You gain entrance, Galatians 4, into the family of God. In salvation, you're adopted into the people of God. Now, there's a clear distinction in, 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 the, in the Scriptures, and we won't get into that, but Israel and the church. But, but again, the body, of, the body of Christ. In Acts 1.5, you see as well, he's saying that the coming of the Spirit will be future. In Acts 2, you see the Holy Spirit descending upon them, and that would mark at Pentecost the beginning of what we know as the church. Verse 4 in chapter 2 of Acts, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. That that would be the mark of the church. He goes on to in verse 16 to equate all of this with the Lord's promise. He goes all the way back to the book of Joel. So you see on your handout, the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was the beginning of the church as we know it. And again, uh, there's lots of disagreement here, but, but I hold to the distinction between Israel and the church. The church has not supplanted them. It hasn't replaced them. I don't, I don't, I don't hold to that. If you were to go to Romans 11, verse 25, it's clear that God has a future for Israel. He says a partial hardening of, their, of Israel has occurred until the fullness of the Gentiles, the church. So the, again, the church began at Pentecost. It began with the giving, the permanent indwelling, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Number three on your handout there. What are the functions of the church? Again, the Bible is very clear with regards to the elements, the functions that ought to be in a church that mark out. And this is why this is important, because I hear people all the time say, we had church or we had church. No, you didn't. If these elements weren't there, you didn't. There are specific elements that, that, that exist. You know, it's why someone can't say sitting in their house in their pajamas and watching a sermon online on Sunday morning, you didn't have church. That's not church. That, that's why this matters, because we live in a culture that, that is moving in that direction. It's, we do whatever we want to do. We, we, we can listen to anybody we want to listen to. We, can, we sang the songs. We listened to the sermon. Listen, that wasn't church. It wasn't. And, and you can look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. He says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They, it's plurality, it's, it's multiple. There are some common, there are some elements that, that, that are biblically required to be in place in order to, to call it, if you will, a, a true church, a biblical church. The first, you see, A, is the preaching, the teaching of the word. The teaching or preaching of the word. We saw that in Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles, why? To preach and teach, or preachers, to preach and and teach the word to build up. We saw in our study of 1 Timothy, the, the church exists as a pillar and supporter of truth. We are here to defend the truth of the word of God. But, but not only that, the, the church, the prompting of corporate worship, corporate worship, there on your handout. 
It's the idea of, of many, many different people, many parts coming together to form one local body to corporately worship, to be a visible, again, a visible expression of what one day will be uh, uh, what, of all believers and all tribes and all nations and all tongues worshiping Christ. We're to be a, a visible expression of that even now. You, you see in Scripture, see they're committed to prayer. You see prayer always incorporated, one another praying for one another. We'll dive into D next week, but the participation in the ordinances, baptism, Lord's Supper, again, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen when you're there by yourself. Acts 2 talks about E, fellowship amongst believers. I quoted Hebrews 10. Part of the, part of the reason we gather, again, we, have the, we live in a very individualistic world, but we gather primarily for one another, not yourself. It's primarily for one another. It's to encourage one another. Here's why. Because sin and, and Satan and all these circumstances living in a sin, like the kids saying, sin messed everything up. All those elements. You know what they want you to do? Sin, Satan wants you to quit. He, he wants you to throw in the towel. And, and here's what we gather to come alongside one another and say, hang in there. Keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Hang in there. Keep pressing on. That, that he clearly in Hebrews, that's part, it's to stimulate one another. It's not, not a primarily an individualistic endeavor here. It is a one another endeavor. You're here to encourage. We look around and here's what we realize. We're not alone in this fight. We got hundreds of other brothers and sisters here to come alongside and to serve and to meet needs and to encourage and to be encouraged by your being here today. This is a one another endeavor. Fellowship. Again, Romans 13 through 15, he talks about one another, one another, one another, over and over again, one another. F, again, functions of the church, opportunity for ministry, ministry, serving one another, recognizing needs. In the, in the Acts 2 passage, it, it makes it clear that the early believers, it says they... Anything they held was regarded as common property. Why? For one another. If I had it and you needed it, it was yours. Why? Because they recognized, and we'll see it in a moment, that it, the church is a family, that there was a common bond. And when one of the church members, when one of them were struggling, it was reflective of the whole church, and they were, they were family, and they needed to come along and serve that person. Why? Because they were, they were one with that person, just like, just like in, a, in, a, in a marriage you know, we'll see it in a moment, but the church is pictured as a marriage. In Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, serve your wives. It says, Any good done to them is good done to you, and any bad done to them is bad done to you. Why? Because you're one flesh. Again, in, in the same way as members of a local congregation, we're one body, one family. There, there's a oneness, there's a togetherness, there's a, a humility that your struggles are my struggles and my struggles are your struggles. There ought to be a sense, in a healthy church, there ought to be a sense of that. Sin fights that in our sinful natures. We fight that and, and we're like, well, that's your problem and I got my own problem. No, 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 no. Together we have problems. Together we have battles. Because we're one. But another function you see is G, the exercise of leadership. Elders, deacons, again, not happening if there's no gathering. Not happening in, a, in a, a church of one. When we're sitting at home and we're watching 
somebody preach on the television. That's not church. The challenge is this. When you get sick and when you need help, call that dude you've been watching on television and see what happens. Call him. Call him up. Hey, I know you're in Seattle, but I'm in Tampa. Can you send some people over and help me with some meals? Secret vote. No, he ain't doing it. That's not the point. It's a together. It's a body. It's a family. And that, and that leads me to four on your handout. How is the church pictured in the Bible? Sometimes pictures, you know, they say pictures are worth a thousand words, and sometimes pictures help us to better grasp what we're talking about, and the Bible gives us numerous pictures so that we can grasp. Just like last week, we saw numerous pictures of the gospel and, and trying to help us to get a full picture of what the gospel is and what it looks like and, and all that God accomplished on our behalf through the giving of His Son. And one of those pictures, one of those pictures throughout the Bible is, is a body. You see it A on your handout, body. Ephesians 1, it says, He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Colossians 118 that, that the kids studied just before this passage. He is the head of the body, the church. The, the Bible also pictures the church as a bride, as a bride. Ephesians 5.23, it says, Why, For the husband is the head of the wife, as church is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. He goes on to, in, 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 to equate how a husband loves his wife is, 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 again, how Christ has loved his church, the bride. The church is, is pictured as a building in Ephesians 2, verse 20 and 21. It says, having been built, talking about God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple. In, in 1 Peter 2, the, the church is referred to as a priesthood. Why? We have access to God. We can, we can bring people, we can represent God to people. And that's what the priest did. It's in John 10, it's pick, the church is pictured there as a flock. The people of God, again, future, but it's a flock that we take. Our, he is our shepherd, it says. We have security in Him, intimacy. We take our cues from Him. He provides. In John 15, we see an allusion to a vine and branches. Branches. That in that the, the branches must stay connected to the vine. That all of our nutrients, all of our nourishment, all of our feeding comes through Christ. And, and really, the commonality between all of these, the commonality is it's a beautiful picture the common thing in all of these pictures is this. Many different parts coming together to form a greater, stronger whole. Think about a marriage. A marriage is the coming together of two people who are vastly different to form one body. Together, those two becoming one are stronger then individually, they complement each other, they help. Think about a building. A building is a mil a tons and tons of different parts 
that when you organize them and you put them together, individually they mean nothing, but you put them together and they can be a hundred-story skyscraper. But millions of individual parts that come together and together, they're strengthened as a whole. One building. You don't look at a building and say, man, look at all those different parts. You say, look at the building. Again, millions of different parts coming together to form a whole. A flock, all these things. Think about your body. Your body are millions of different, different things, whatever you want to call them. Katie can help me. She's a nurse. They're better, more scientific thing than things. Parts, organisms, atoms, whatever, that come together, that God has formed together. I don't even know what we're made of. Mostly water. Cells. Cells. Brother, I was a recreation major. I don't even like all these different cells, bones, flesh, all these different organs, you know what they do? They function together what? For one body. One body. They all have different roles. They all have different functions. That's a picture of the church. Tom Hale is very good at some things that I'm not. I'm good at a few things that he might not be. Think about it in your own home. Your bride, guys, Karen is very good at a lot of things I'm not. And, and in my pride, that it can be, it can be con, you know, when I come home with an idea, and, and I, I'm a big picture guy, she's a detailed girl. So when she asks me 50 questions, that can be tough sometimes, because I ain't thought about two, of, I ain't even thought of two of those questions yet. I just got this big idea in my head. And she's like a Gatling gun, just rattling off 50 questions. I'm like, I ain't even got there yet. But here's the thing, God gave me that for my good. Because together, you got a big picture guy and a, and a, and a detailed girl, that, that forms a better whole. That's the body. Lots of different people. Lots of different parts. The reality is this, were it not for Christ, many of us in here would have nothing to do with one another, would have never known each other apart from Christ. And yet we're one body. And that's the challenge, that's the visible picture. That one day, all, one day... Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, people from all that are going to be gathered, unified around what purpose? Christ. That's the unity here. And there's millions of reasons, millions of differences. Even in your own home. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody today, and I mean, the other day, and they, they were talking about irreconcilable differences. The, the reality is this. Every single marriage has irreconcilable differences. Karen and I are different on things that we will never see eye to eye on. In this church, there are irreconcilable differences. There is differences between me and you and you and me. There are things that I do that annoy you, and guess what? There are things that you do that annoy me. We're never going to see eye to eye on those things. And yet God has created us differently because together we form a stronger whole. That's the beauty. But, the, but the very, those very differences can also be what cause us problems if we're not humble, if we're not careful. And we'll see that in a minute. So, so what's the purpose? Look at five real quickly. What's the purpose of the church? None of that was in my notes, and that's why my sermons go too long, so forgive me. The purpose of the church. And listen, this is where, if, if I'm honest, this is where we've gotten very sideways in our communities. The purpose of the church. And here at Odessa, we, listen, and biblically, biblically, we gather to worship. You can look at 1 Corinthians 14, makes it very clear. Other places, we gather to worship. 
we gather to express the reality that our God is awesome, that He is worthy, that we're dependent on Him. But listen, we scatter to evangelize. We gather to worship, we scatter to evangelize. Think, our gatherings, you see it on your handout, and they're interrelated. These are totally interrelated. Our gatherings, you see it on your handout, equip us to be effective when we scatter. We gather here to worship, to be trained, to be taught, to be disciplined, so that we can scatter in a unified way and give, give account and defense, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, to the greatness of our gods. But we can do it in a unified way with right theology that we can represent God as He has revealed Himself in this Word. You see how the two are interrelated. That's why we gather so we can scatter. Well, it's almost like if we were in a, and the Bible uses this as a, a picture in Timothy, a military. We gather. This is our barracks. We get our marching orders. We, we clean our guns. We train. We get disciplined. We figure out what the commanding officer wants us to do. And then we leave and go do that. That, that's why we teach the way we do here. That's why we're strong about the Word of God. Because what, when we're gathered, it is... It is not primarily in the direct sense about the lost. We, get, we scatter to go reach the lost, but right now it is about the believer. Again, that's what makes us a church. That, that's what he said in Ephesians 4, we, to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We gather and we preach the way we do and teach the way we do because our goal is to build you up in maturity in Christ so that you're no longer an infant tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. And in and, and Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, we'll read that. We're given our charge, ultimately, ultimately, our command is to do that so that we can seek and save the lost. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the Greek, in the original language, so oftentimes I hear it, people say the emphasis of, of verse 19 is go. The emphasis of verse 19 is not go. There's In the Greek, they're, they're called imperatives. This is more than you wanted, but and participles. The imperative is a command. The command of that verse is make disciples. That's the command. The charge of the church is to make disciples. How we do that in the Greek, those are called participles. They participate, if you will, in the command. How do we do that? We go, we baptize, and we teach. But the key function of the church is to make disciples. Mom, Dad, your primary responsibility in your home as the parents of your children are what? Make disciples. Our job here is to come alongside of you and help you with that role, not take that role from you. You're with your kids seven days a week, all day, whatever, with school and whatever. We're, we get them two hours, three hours a week. The primary role of your home, the primary function, and we'll see this in two weeks, our homes are, be, are to be discipleship factories. We are to be producing disciples of Christ. 
who are strong, who are built up in the nourishment of the Word, who can defend what they believe, who know what they believe, who can go out and seek and save the lost on behalf of God and Christ. That, that's the function. And everything about it is gospel-centered. The gospel is what, in, through believing in the gospel of the Bible, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin, believing in that gospel, we're brought in, adopted into the family, but it's that same adoption, excuse me, that motivates us to go out and share with others the glorious truths that somebody shared with us. That's 2 Timothy 2 too. Teach others who are faithful to what you've been taught. But again, it's all centered around the gospel. And again, our gatherings, you see it on your handout, as a church are about rightly proclaiming the gospel through everything we say and do. Everything, every part of our lives is built on the gospel. We're not saved by the gospel and then set it aside and move on to something else. Everything that we do. That's why even in verse chapter 4 of Ephesians, he, Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Go back to the gospel and your life is to be a right response to that, that you have had your sins forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You, have, you were alienated in your sin. You have been brought into the family of God. You know what Paul says? Walk as a right member of the family of God. Understand what that means. Now walk appropriately. And our whole life is a, is a display of that. Our whole life is a display of, of the gospel and its effects on our lives. It's not, well, I did that on August 26, 1983, and now I'm just going off on my own. No, 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 they don't, the gospel don't work that way. Every single day, it's trusting in Christ and His righteousness. It's persevering in that gospel. It's giving a defense for that gospel. And, and again, the church, again, our gatherings are, are a way of us saying, I'm committed to one another. I'm committed to you. As the body of Christ, I'm committed to others. And membership, as Tony said in the quiz, is like a covenant. You're saying, I am, I'm, I'm committing myself to you as a body, just like you said vows and committed yourself to your wife. That's why membership is so important. And church isn't something that we attend a couple times a month as long as we don't have a better offer. That's not church. That's not the attitude, rather, to church. It's not a place where we go because it's not a place where we're trying to have the best show in town and we've got to wow you with a circus and we've got to impress you with all these bells and whistles to keep you coming back. The Word of God and your commitment to Christ is what keeps you coming back. It's the commandments of the Word that keeps you coming back. I mean, trust me, you're not, a wow, you're not wowed by these. If you're looking for facilities, we ain't going to be wowed by our facilities. You, you just keep that to yourself, Chris. You don't have to laugh quite so loudly. Brother, you can take up a paintbrush and paint anytime you want. <laughs> I, but listen, I, I don't want you, you're not going to be wowed by me. I'm not, I'm not the best preacher of the word. I realize that. I, I love to listen to other people preach during the week. And I realize, Chris, I'm amazed that you show up. I'm amazed that my wife and kids show up sometimes. <laughs> but, but here, here, and Karen and I said this from day one. Here's what we're going to offer you. We're going to offer you the Word of God as clearly and as plainly as we can offer it to you. And we're going to offer it to you every time we gather. 
And win, lose, or draw, here's the deal. I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to be able to say that I was faithful. Second, 1 Corinthians 4, I was faithful to your word, and I fed the people. Because my command is to feed the sheep. My command is to teach the word. Now, hear me. Do I need to get better at that? So better at that. Like, it's 1045, I need to get better at that. But the main reason we gather is about the word. Listen, it's not about programs. It's not about me doing everything for you. It's not you waiting for me to come up with the next big thing so you can participate in it and you can assuage your conscience and check that off. It's equipping you, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, to do the work of the ministry. Because in about a few minutes, hopefully, you're going you're gonna to leave here and you're going to go out into a world that is opposed to this word and you need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth on your own you need to be able to defend yourself on your own. Your kids are going to go to schools and they're going to inter inter interact with people who they need to be able to defend their word of God on their own. They need to be able to stand up on their own two feet. They're going to go off to college one day and they're going to be inundated with beliefs that are not aligned with this word. And if they can't defend themselves, don't, don't complain to me. God gave me Sarah Grace and Bradley Basham. They are my responsibility, and collectively, they are all of our responsibilities as a church. But primarily, it is my job and Karen's job to raise them up in the admonition and the fear of the Lord. It's not about programs. It's not, I'm with them seven days a week, all day, when, they're, when, when I'm at home and that. that our home's got to be discipleship factories. Not waiting, well, I took them to church for an hour. Chris, what happened? That's what happened. The function of the church is to equip you, mom, dad, single person, whoever, to do the work of the ministry. Then when we leave here, there's 300 of us going out and doing the work of the ministry, not one of us doing the work of the ministry. And our homes are meant to be those discipleship factories where this takes place. And yet we gather here to be encouraged to keep at it at home and to keep at it in our individual walks. That's the function. Sixth, sixth, we'll close real quick. The main enemy facing the church is disunity. Disunity. That shows up a lot of ways, but listen to me. The number one enemy is not out there. The number one enemy is in here. The number one enemy is right here. Disunity. At every single turn, listen to me, our tendency is to want to make these gatherings about ourselves, to make these gatherings about our own agendas, to, to allow our wisdom to creep in and for our wisdom to tell God and to tell the Word how that we ought to be doing what he's called us to do. To make it about the, the, the one of the main enemies is for us to make it about ourselves, to just gather in all this knowledge and do nothing with it, to lean on our own strength. And the number one, you can look at the studies, the number one mark of a church that is in trouble or on its way to trouble is when the church's gatherings and agendas and the, the desires of that church 
are the way that you want them and the way that I want them instead of the way that God wants them. Number one mark, unilaterally, you look at churches that are, that are dying, that are struggling, and, and they look at these churches and they try to come up with what in the world's going on. It's because they've focused on themselves and not the gospel. They, they've made church the way that they want it versus submitting to the way that God wants it. And the number one enemy is, is, is disunity, fighting amongst ourselves. We end up arguing and fighting about stuff that, that, that is irrelevant and it's, so, and it's focused on self. And in our pride, we won't submit. And we, again, we won't realize that, look, there's a bunch of different personalities in this room right now. There's A personality, there's B personalities, there's detail-oriented people, and then there's me. I ain't in details. There's giftings. There's probably people in this room that could preach better than I. There's probably people in this room that maybe, maybe they can strum the guitar better than Daniel. But guess what? Are we going to submit ourselves to the leadership that God has appointed, or are we going to do it our way? Disunity. And we've got to trust God. Listen, we've got to trust God with our differences and trust that God, God formed each of us individually, that collectively we would come together and form a greater, stronger whole. All the pictures we saw, whether it's a body or a building or whatever, that's the picture. Lots of differences, but yet collectively come together, we, we serve one another, we yield to one another, we love one another, and we come together. And, and ultimately, it's, it's God over me. John said in 3.30, he must increase, I must decrease. And it's the same in a church. And, and you see it on your handout, we must see the church as a family. As a family. That's what all in Ephesians 4, all throughout, one another, one another, one another. Did you, did, those of you who had siblings, did y'all ever fight? Don't raise your hand too loud now because your sister's sitting next to you now. Come on. But guess what? What, what brought you together? Family. Family, but love. And Akeen must have been reading my notes. He, he sneaked in on my sermon. Because listen to Colossians 3.14. Where is this going to start? And I'm going to close with this. Colossians 3.14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I think we would all agree that we're real, we're real gracious with people that we truly love. We're real patient with people that we truly love. And the bottom line is this, love is the fuel for our unity as a church. John 13, 34, and 35, he says, The badge, they will know that you are my disciples, how? Not by your programs, not by all this other stuff. Here's simple, that you love one another. The mark of a Christian, the mark of a body, is to be love for one another. What will bond us is love. And what ought to, when somebody comes in here and visits, they ought to get a glimpse of a group of people that, number one, love God and they love one another. When we go out there in the world, the world ought to get a glimpse of a group of people who love God and love one another. And the, biggest, the biggest issue we face is disunity. And so I, I hope today has helped us have an understanding of the big view of church, an understanding of 
of, of the, the awesomeness, the responsibility that is before us. We, just to, to, to understand your role, to, under, to, to look for ways that you can serve, to come alongside and play your part. But more than anything, more than anything, what, what Satan wants to do more than anything in churches is cause division. Get us fighting against one another instead of focusing on the mission at hand.